I'd like to take the next few weeks and examine the letter of Jude. Little is known about Jude. We do know that he was one of the 12 apostles. Jude, the name, is, a, is the short form of Judas. And we see this from Luke chapter 6 and verse 16, where Luke identifies him as Judas and distinguishes him from Judas Iscariot. So in Luke 6 and verse 16, we read, And Judas, the son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. And so we have two Judases among the disciples of Jesus, Judas, the son of James, and Judas Iscariot. Matthew 13 and verse 55 identifies a man by the name of Judas, who was the son of Mary and brother of Jesus. And so the people of Nazareth say of Jesus, is not this the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary? And are not his brothers James and Joseph and Simon and Judas? Matthew 13 and verse 55. And so Jesus has four brothers, James, Joseph, Simon, Judas. And we learn from the opening verse of Jude that uh, his, uh, his brother was James, just as the brother of, of Jesus. And so Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James. And this being the case, it's quite likely then that Jude is the brother of Jesus and son of Mary. And so let's take a moment to consider what he has to say to us as the brother of Jesus writes. And I'd like to begin here by reading from Jude verses 1 to 7. This is what it says. Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to those who are called, beloved in God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ, may mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain people have crept in unnoticed, who long ago were des designated for this condemnation, ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. Now I want to remind you, Although you were once fully knew it, that Jesus who saved a people out of the land of Egypt afterward destroyed those who did not believe. And the angels who did not stay within their own position of authority but left their proper dwelling, he has kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day. Just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities, which likewise indulged in sexual immorality and pursued a natural desire, serve as an example by undergoing a punishment of eternal fire. Notice as we begin how Jude introduces himself. Verse 1, Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James. Now, from what we understand, Jude was brother to the Lord Jesus himself as well. 
But that's not how Jude introduces himself. He describes himself as a servant of Jesus Christ and a brother to James. Now, James was an important individual in the early church as well, and, and Jude knew that those to whom he wrote this epistle would, would know James and who he was. To James, he was a brother. But to Jesus, however, Jude was a servant. And in calling himself a servant of Jesus Christ, Jude is recognizing the worth of Jesus he doesn't dare to lift himself up to the level of, of Jesus. And as important a man as James was, he was a mere man and a brother. But Jesus was, was so much more. Jude accepts him, not as a brother so much as, his, as the Son of God and his Lord. Now, Jude writes this letter to a people who have three qualifications. Listen to what he says in verse 1. To those who are called, beloved in God the Father, and kept for Jesus Christ. First, they're called. Now, when Jesus was looking for 12 disciples, the Bible tells us that he called them. And there is, however, a sense in which all believers have been called, have received that kind of a call. And that call implies that we've heard the Lord speaking to our hearts about our salvation and our need of, our, of salvation, and we've responded to that call. It also implies that, that we have a task that has been given to us by the Father here on this earth, and he calls us to be his representatives here on this earth. And as believers, we have been called to salvation, to fellowship, and to service. And so believers have been called of God. But notice secondly, the second qualification in those to whom Jude writes, they are beloved in God. So not only are we as believers called by God for salvation, for fellowship, and for service, but we are called by one who loves us. We're much more than servants. We, we're beloved servants and children. The Lord Jesus has laid down his life for us. The Spirit of God has chosen to come and indwell us, sealing us for the day of salvation. And the Father has cared for us and continues to care for us as his children. So we're called but we're also beloved in a way that we have never been loved before. Finally, we as believers are kept for Jesus Christ. Now, it's one thing to be kept by Jesus Christ, but quite another thing to, to be kept for him. And when we're kept for somebody, we've been chosen for each other. There is a bond between us. And the Father is keeping you and me as a bride for his son. We have been specifically chosen and prepared for him. And the day is coming when, when we will be presented to the son. The Father has a particular interest in keeping us and preparing us for that encounter. He will not abandon us. He will will not turn from us. He will do everything possible to present us to his son, Jesus Christ, as a pure 
and holy bride. And so believers are called by God, they are loved by God, and they are kept for Christ Jesus, his son. Now notice Jude's prayer for the recipients of this letter in verse 2. May mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. Now remember that these individuals have been called, loved, and kept for Jesus Christ. And the hard cry of Jude is that they would experience mercy, peace, and the love of the Father, and that would be multiplied abundantly in their lives. Now, as I grew up, I never felt worthy of the Lord's favor. And I would often ask myself how I could ever ask him for more than what he had already given me because he had already given me more than I deserved. But Jude, the brother of our Lord Jesus Christ, however, reminds us that there is no limit to the mercy and peace and love of God. And you can dip your hand into that basket of mercy and take out all you need. And there will still be as much in that basket as when you put your hand in. You can never exhaust the love of God. And Jude prays that this supply of mercy and peace and love be multiplied over and over and over again in the lives of the people of God. We dare not fear what God wants to give us. We must open our heart to all he wants to pour in it because we can only be as effective as we are filled and overflowing with his mercy, his peace, and his love. As we move to verse 3, Jude describes the reason for his letter. We read this in verse 3. Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. Originally, Jude wanted to write about their common salvation, a letter of encouragement and, and testimony. But he discovered as he was listening and, and, and considering what was happening in the region where these the recipients were, that there were some pressing needs that needed to be addressed. And so now he, he chooses to write to encourage them to stand up and to hold firm to the faith that had been passed down to them once for all by the apostles. And so clearly there were issues arising in the church that were threatening the purity of the truth the apostles had been teaching. And so Jude feels compelled by God to write a letter to challenge these believers to stand firm in the truth that had been handed to them by the apostles. Notice that the purity of the truth the apostles taught was being challenged by certain individuals who had crept into the church unnoticed. These individuals didn't announce their false doctrine, but they came into the church as brothers and sisters. And Jude has some very strong things to say 
about these individuals. Jude holds no punches here. He expresses what he feels in very strong and powerful language. Notice how he describes these individuals. In verse 4, he tells us that these individuals were long ago designated for condemnation. For certain people, he says in verse 4, have crept in unnoticed who were long ago designated for this condemnation. Jesus himself told us that there would be false teachers and prophets among us seeking to deceive even the elect. And throughout the Old Testament, we see examples of false teachers who were, were condemned and put to death for the, for the falsehood. And these false teachers were prophesied long ago, and their condemnation was determined from ages past. Even in the Old Testament, the law that, that condemned anyone who would teach anything other than the truth of the law of God. Their condemnation was prophesied. Their judgment was determined from ages past. These individuals, says Jude, have been prophesied, but also their condemnation has been prophesied as well. But second, Jude calls these individuals ungodly people. God was not with them. They did not live according to his purpose. They were enemies to the will of God for the church. And ultimately, they were tools in the hand of Satan. Third, they perverted the grace of God into sensuality. They perverted the grace of God into sensuality. Now, sensuality has to do with the satisfaction of fleshly lusts and desires. And that may be physical or emotional in nature. And what Jude is telling us is that these individuals were all about pleasing themselves. And they taught that God understood these desires and, and would forgive. And they presumed upon the grace of God. They lived a sinful life and called themselves followers of Jesus Christ. And fourth, Jude tells us that these individuals denied our only master, the Lord Jesus Christ. They crept into the church. They worshiped on Sunday, but they denied the only master a Christian has, the Lord Jesus Christ. They called themselves believers but did not submit to the purpose of the Lord Jesus for their lives. They lived as they pleased to satisfy their fleshly desires. These individuals then, according to Jude, were condemned. They were an ungodly people who perverted the grace of God into sensuality and denied the master, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, Jude goes on to speak particularly to those who would live a life of presumption. That's to say, a life that does not take the lordship of Jesus Christ seriously, a lifestyle that presumes upon his grace, a lifestyle that would live as it pleases, 
and not according to God's purpose. And Jude gives us several examples of individuals who did that. And the first example we have is in verse 5. Now I want to remind you, says Jude, although you once fully knew it, that Jesus, who saved the people out of the land of Egypt afterward, destroyed those who did not believe. Now Jude takes his people back in time to their deliverance from Egypt. And those, of course, were incredible days. A, a whole nation was released from the bondage of slavery, and the Lord Jesus saves them from their, their bondage. And, and notice what happens as they go out into the wilderness. These delivered slaves begin to grumble and complain. They worship idols, and they turn from the Lord their God, and, and they do not trust the Lord and, or believe in his purpose. And because of their rebellion and disbelief, what does the Lord do? He allows them to perish in the desert. And they suffered the consequence of their unbelief and ungodliness. They lived wasted lives, 40 years of wandering in a desert wasteland. They, they died in their rebellion and, and disbelief, and they never saw the promised land. Now, that was not why God had delivered them, but because they presumed upon his grace, because they chose to grumble and complain and turn from him and walk away from him and disbelieve him, God chose to allow them to perish right there in that desert without ever stepping foot in the land of promise. Jude gives a second example and takes us back even further in time. And in verse 6, he says this, And the angels who did not stay within their own position of authority, but left their proper dwelling, he has kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day. So Jude speaks about angels. And who are these angels? They are the, the angels of Satan, his demons. They were at one time in heaven with God, but turned their backs on him and were cast out of heaven. They overstepped their authority. They rebelled against God. And what happens to these heavenly creatures who rebel against God? Listen to what Jude tells us. He, God, has kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day. God casts them out from heaven. They have been chained in eternal chains. Eternal, chain, eternal chains are chains that will never be loosed, and they will be forever enchained. And notice that they're enchained under gloomy darkness. This is a horrible prison of evil and sinfulness. There's no hope of escape from this dungeon. And, and the day is coming when these fallen angels who have been enchained in this gloomy darkness will stand before their judge and their prison cell of gloomy darkness is only the holding cell until they receive their final punishment. And that sentence will be even worse than their gloomy cell. And so Jude reminds those who would presume upon the grace of God and live the way they want to live without considering their only master, Jesus Christ. He reminds them of these evil spirits that God has chosen to cast out of heaven 
and in chain and gloomy darkness awaiting judgment in the very presence of God, but cast out to be forever and ever enchained in gloomy darkness. The final example Jude uses is an example of Sodom and Gomorrah in verse 7. Just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities, which likewise indulged in sexual immorality and pursued unnatural desire, serve as an example by undergoing a punishment of eternal fire. Here were cities, Sodom and Gomorrah, in the days of Abraham and Lot, engaged in immorality. And God speaks here, Jude speaks here about how they pursued unnatural desires. He speaks here of an incident that took place in Genesis 19, 5-7, where the men of the city asked Lot to bring the men who had come to visit him uh, so that they could have sexual relations with them. And, and that propels a judgment of fire and brimstone against the city, and the entire city is destroyed because of this sin. And Jude tells us that these cities were to serve as examples by undergoing a punishment of eternal fire. That's to say that we dare not presume upon the grace of God. Now, it's true that God is a gracious God, but it is dangerous to, preserve, to, to, to persevere in flagrant sin. And Jude reminds us that God let his own people die in the wilderness. His own people die in the wilderness when they turned their backs on him. That same God cast out the angels of heaven and bound them into eternal chains of gloomy darkness to await an even greater punishment when they overstepped their boundaries. And even the great cities of Sodom and Gomorrah, as powerful and as rich as they were, were brought to the ground and every single citizen was killed and a great fire from heaven was rained down upon those people, burning them alive. And so Jude doesn't hold any punches here. He's angered by those who would claim to be Christians but live an ungodly life. And he points them to the wrath of God in history. He tells them that God will not tolerate such persistence in sin. He begins by reminding believers that God was a God of mercy, peace, and love. But we dare not tempt him. He's under no obligation to show this love and, and mercy. Shall we live as enemies and expect to be at peace with him? What's of concern for us here is that those who walk in rebellion against God tread on very dangerous territory. The fierce anger of the Lord is real, and there is a judgment coming. There, there is no moment but now to make sure that we're right with him. Today, he, he calls us. Today, his love is extended to us. Today, his heart is to cleanse us and to keep us for his son. And this is the only goal in life worth pursuing, to be prepared and ready for the son. If you have ears to hear today, Listen to what he's saying. 
Hear that call and, and surrender. Recognize that there is only one master for you as a believer. Commit your life right now to follow that master. Turn from anything that would grieve his heart. He's calling you today. He loves you. He wants to keep you for his son. What is he asking you to do today? Is he calling you in the midst of sin and rebellion to turn yourself over to him and to, to surrender? We dare not presume upon his grace. His grace is real. His love is sure. But we dare not tempt him for his fury is as sure as his grace and his anger as his mercy.